mornings, and this morning we come to Revelation chapter 18. So turn your Bibles there. If you have an outline, uh, grab that. Let's pray, and we'll dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here this morning, none by chance, all by divine appointment. And for those watching via live stream, we'll hear this on the radio later. May you minister to every heart. May you meet us here. And Lord, I pray if anybody is here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray, we pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. all right, so Revelation is not a difficult book to understand. Revelation, as we know, we see the outline for the book of Revelation in chapter one, the things which were, the things which are, and the things which shall come to pass. Chapter one, we see Jesus in heaven. Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger or a savior on a cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you look in Revelation chapter one, you see the awe and the power of who our savior is. The things which are, chapter two and chapter three, is the church age. We see the church mentioned there 19 times in those two chapters, and then we never see the church mentioned again until we come back with him at the end of Revelation. So the things which are, the Lord is in heaven, things which are now is with the church age. And then in chapter four, verse one, we see John the apostle, who's on the island of Patmos, where he, they tried to kill him, they tried to boil him in oil, he wouldn't die because God still wanted him to write the book of Revelation. And so he's on the island of Patmos, God appears to him, gives him a vision, and he has a vision from a heavenly perspective. The word in chapter four, verse one, harpazo, in Latin is rapturo, where we get the term for rapture. And so we see John from a heavenly perspective, and we don't see the church mentioned anymore. So the church has now been raptured, so from chapter four, all the way to chapter 19, end of chapter 19, we don't see the church mentioned. What we see instead is God righteously judging a wicked, perverse, and God-rejecting world. Now, during this seven-year period, it's called the Great Tribulation. The good news is that many people will get saved. Many of those who are left behind, uh, maybe who have gone to church. So by the way, if you show up here on a Sunday and we're all gone, we're in heaven, you need to get saved. Can I get an amen to that? But those that are left behind, we will see that God will leave a remnant. There'll be 144,000, the 12, 12 tribes of Israel. And we're going to see that God's going to use these 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams, and he's get, they're going to be sharing their faith. Moses and Elijah, there's going to be an angel appear in the sky. So there's going to be opportunities for people to be saved. And I truly believe during the seven-year tribulation, there'll be more people get saved in that seven-year period than any other seven-year period in all of human history. So the re Amen. And so the reason that the tribulation takes place is for God's righteous judgment, but it's that one last chance for people to be saved. So now we get all the way up to chapter 18, and we've seen the seven, you know, seven different judgments, the seal judgments, the bowl judgments, you know, and now the trumpets. Now, we're at that final judgment now, and we got a little break in 17 and 18. He sees giving us an understanding of Babylon. Now, Babylon is a term that came from the Tower of Babel. Babel the Tower of Babel was right after the flood, and what happened? The people got together, the great-grandson of Noah and his wife, and they created kind of their own faith, 
their own religion, and they, they wanted to build a tower to reach heaven. And they thought they could use their own strength, their own ability to reach heaven without the Lord. And so when you see the term Babylon, and there's actual cities called Babylon throughout, the, throughout Scripture, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Daniel was taken captive in Babylon. So Babylon is throughout the Bible, but we know that Babylon is a picture of a perverse, wicked, idolatrous people who reject the true and living God. And so the final Babylon, if you will, is the Antichrist and his kingdom. And we know that the Antichrist will come on the scene during the Great Tribulation after all, many of the plagues have taken place and the world... Now, if COVID threw people off, how do you think it's going to be when a third of the world's population dies in a single day? When a third of the world's waters are bittered? When there's 120-pound hailstones falling from the sky? When there's days of darkness without light, when all these, tre- these things are being poured out upon the world that people, are, are, we would hope, would repent, but instead what most of them are going to do so they can buy and sell and live and have a job is they're going to take the mark of the beast. Now, let me make it really clear to all of you who are here, the vaccine is not the mark of the beast, amen? Your new credit card with a chip in it is not the mark of the beast, And we don't need to panic because the mark of the beast will take place after the church has been raptured. Amen? So the people that will take it will know what they are taking. They're not going to be tricked into it by the, you know, the free shot at CVS. That's not going to happen, okay? (laughs) What's going to happen is they're going to know that they're taking this mark. They're aligning themselves with the, the Antichrist so that they can live and buy and sell. Now, once they take the mark of the beast, they're done. Cannot, cannot turn back from it. But in the midst of all that, there will still be those who refuse the mark of the beast and they will be martyred for their faith. So chapter 17, we saw the religious part. And I, I, I think I scared a few people away last week, but that's okay. Uh, some of you, if you've got a Catholic background and some, of, some people were not real thrilled about that, and that's okay. Because here's the reality. We teach what the word of God says, not the opinions of men. Amen. And the reality is in the last days, there's going to be a one world religion. And part of that one world religion is going to have a false prophet. And all the world's religions are going to come together under the Antichrist as their savior. So when they do that, when they align that way, again, we're going to see that there will be those who, again, go get away from the cross and are willing to be ecumenical with all other religions. And so we have seen even the Pope do that and others do that, where they come together. I don't pray with Muslims, I pray for Muslims. Amen? Amen? We pray for the lost, we don't pray with them. They need to be saved. And it, you know, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we saw last week was this one world religion and we know at about the three and a half year mark that the Antichrist is going to have used religion to get the power that he wanted, to get people to align up under him, and he's going to rid the world of that religion, of that false religion. Now, as we come to chapter 18, we're going to move from the religious side of the Antichrist's kingdom to the more material side, the worldly side, because the Antichrist is going to be very wealthy. The Antichrist is going to be ruling and reigning and people are going to align up under him so they can buy and sell and survive. And because of that, they will be very materialistic and there will be those amongst his people who are going to get very, very wealthy even in the midst of a very difficult time. And so the message for us today, if you have your outline, grab it, 
I titled the message, Babylon is Fallen. Babylon is Fallen. Babylon, again, as I mentioned, is a picture of a God-rejecting, idolatrous, wicked people who put their faith in themselves, in science, in the world, and not in the Lord, and typically also in idols. So here's the outline. Babylon has fallen. First, God's message of coming judgment will be impossible to ignore or escape. Guys, I had a guy that I called on, most of you guys know, until about four months ago. I had a full-time job, same company for 35 years. And I called on this guy uh, during the middle of COVID, and he just said, I choose not to participate. I'm out. I'm not doing it. I'm not participating. I'm having nothing to do with it. I'm staying open. If you come in here with a mask on, I'm going to shoot you. I said, well, then I won't wear one, right? (laughs) But he opted out of COVID. You cannot opt out of God's judgment. You cannot opt out. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every one of us will stand before the creator of the universe. You're either for him or you're against him. You've either got faith or unbelief. There's no neutral ground. And so the judgment of God, his coming judgment will be impossible to ignore or escape. Number two, we are all, we are to be in the world, but not of it. We're called to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. We're going to see him calling them to come out from among the world. Guys, we become like the people we hang out with. If we hang out with the world, we'll be influenced by the world. Again, we don't, you know, we're not going to go climb up on a mountain somewhere and be monks and ignore the world. God wants us to minister to the world. Uh, this is our mission field. But we should be impacting the world instead of the world impacting us. Number three, the lost world will reap what it has sown. Again, God is a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. There is a day coming when the righteous judgment of God will come upon a lost and God-rejecting world. And we're going to see that taking place in this morning's text. Number four, the lost world mourns over lost power, position, and wealth, but does not mourn or repent over its sin and open rebellion against God. We're going to see three different groups that are doing really well in the kingdom of the Antichrist. And when Babylon is falling, they are grieving. But they're only grieving because for the kings, they're going to lose political power. For the merchants, they're going to lose loss. They're going to lose income. For the sailors, they'll lose trade opportunities. They're all grieving, but they're grieving for themselves. They, their whole focus is on how does this impact me? By the way, It's not about you, it's about him. The Bible tells us that we're to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. And you know what? The the word of the year in 2019 was selfie. I think we need to get over selfie, amen, and start focusing on the Lord. Point number five, there is a day coming when all believers will rejoice over the righteous judgment of God. You know what? As believers, do we want to see everybody saved? What's the answer? Do you want to minister to the world? Absolutely. And we'd never, and we should never be self-righteous. We should never feel we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And it's only by God's grace that we've been redeemed. At the same time, when men and the when, when the world shakes its fists at God over and over, when they're persecuting God's children, God takes that personally. What did he say to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? because he was persecuting Christians. Do you know when people persecute Christians, they're persecuting the Lord, and the Lord won't stand for that forever? He suffers long, but he won't suffer always, and we'll see in tonight's text, the people actually rejoicing that God brings righteous judgment upon those 
who had martyred the saints and who mocked the true and living God. And then finally, pride goes before destruction. We're going to see Babylon, the world's fleshly, desire-driven, God-rejecting system will be so thoroughly destroyed it will never rise again. You know what's going to happen? That worldly system that we live in today is going to go away. The Lord's going to come back with us, and then we're going to have a godly system where we rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years during the millennial reign with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I can't wait. Amen? And praise God for that. So let's begin there looking at Babylon is fallen. First thing we're going to see is God's message of coming judgment will be impossible to ignore or escape. It says, after these things, whenever you see after these things, it's a new vision. After what we just saw in the previous chapter, John's getting something new from the Lord. He's showing them, showing them something new. Just to give context, let's go back and read verse 17 and 18 of the previous chapter. It says, For God has put into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast, till the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So it's talking about the harlot that we talked about last week. And so the focus was on the religious portion, the one world religion of Babylon, of the Antichrist. And now, after these things, we're taking it away from that focus to what's taking place in the world. All the commerce, all the, you know, the, the buying and selling, the materialism, all that's taking place. And it says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So the angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, sent by God from heaven with authority from God to act on his behalf. Notice it says there, and the earth was illuminated with this glory. If you'll remember from the fifth bowl judgment, that darkness was placed upon the earth. And so darkness, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of what, and by the way, if you weren't here last week and the week before, you can always go to our website, the messages are there, but we see that many of the bold judgments line up with the judgments that took place in Egypt when God delivered them out of bondage, and every one of the judgments in Egypt was addressing one of the false gods of the Egyptians. So God is addressing the false gods of this world as he brings about the plagues that come upon the earth. Thanks. Appreciate that, bro. I might need that. So he will make a dramatic appearance into a darkened stage. He will be an angel that illuminates and brings light into darkness, and he's going to speak with authority. And what this means is it can't be ignored. It's going to be something that comes, and it's going to be, it's going to be something that should grab everyone's attention. And the, again, the world is in darkness. The flashing brilliance of the angel into the darkness will bring an awe-inspiring to those again, hovering in the darkness. And it says there in verse two, and he cried mightily with a loud voice. By the way, I think that's how we ought to talk about the Lord. Amen. We shouldn't keep it to ourselves. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we shouldn't, you know, pray in silence so that we don't offend somebody else. And so when he comes, he's not only glowing in the dark, but he's going to speak with a loud voice, having authority from Almighty God. No one will be able to ignore him. Everyone will hear him as well as see him. And God's message of coming judgment will be impossible to ignore. The judgment will be announced and then taken 
quickly carried out. The judgment was predicted back in chapter 14, if you were here, and it says this in chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, the fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and smoke of their torment torment ascends forever and ever. They will have no rest or no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. That's pretty clear that if you align with Satan, if you align with the Antichrist who's following Satan, if you align with him, there is no escape. Hell is real. It's forever. There are no breaks and we don't want to see anyone go there. Amen. The Bible says he desires that none should perish, no, not one. So here comes the righteous judgment of God. This angel shows up. He's illuminating the darkness. He's speaking with power and authority. And it's something that nobody could ignore. And what does he say? Babylon, the great, is fallen, is fallen, and become the dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Does that seem odd? Where do you see scavenger birds? Where there's death. We know from previous chapters that over 200 million demons were let out of the abyss. And they were planted near Babylon. You also have the demons that were thrown out of heaven with Satan. And now you have all these demonic beings they're going to be placed on Babylon after it's made, as it's made desolate, and there's going to be nothing there but torment and death, and it's going to be such a grievous place that literally the only thing that will be there will be scavenger birds. So he's letting them know Babylon has fallen. Hey, that nation you've been putting your faith in, it's fallen. Pray, I, look, I'm as patriotic as anybody on the planet, and I thank God every day that I was born in America, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have. I believe we're the greatest nation on the planet. That being said, I'm not a follower of America. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Because America will fall one day. And Babylon is going to fall. And they thought Babylon was invincible. And no, nobody and nothing's in, invincible. And every nation is going to fall when there's a new heavens and a new earth. And we're ruling and reigning with the Lord. Amen. So we put our, look, should we vote? Yes. Should we do all those things? Absolutely. We should vote biblically. We should stand for, 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 against abortion, murder of babies. We should stand for marriage. We should stand for the word of God. All of that. All of that. But you know what? The world's not going to be saved politically. It's going to be saved through Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Amen. Amen? And we need to preach salvation and we want to see people saved. So about 200 million Formerly bound demons were released at the sounding of the sixth trumpet. They, along with the demons released from the abyss, those cast from heaven with Satan, this once great city will be a place of demonic destruction and scavenger birds picking at its remains. So the way of Satan, what does it do? It prompt, what does Satan tempt you with? 
Satan knows your weakness. First of all, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, he can't read your mind, he's not, he's not omnipresent, he can't be everywhere at once. And so, he, but he will know your weaknesses based on your character and the things that you choose to do. And those are the things he will attack you with. And then he will promise you pleasure. He will promise you good things if you will heed his temptation. But in the end, he always delivers torment and pain and consequences and suffering. The same is going to happen to the Antichrist who aligns with Satan and all those who align with him. They're going to be promised pleasure, promised survival in the midst of this great tra you know, tragedy and difficult time. And in the end, they're all going to be wiped out. Because Satan is the father of lies who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? He's like a roaring lion. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. So it became a dwelling place of demons. It says in Jeremiah, Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. The old King James translates jackal into dragons. And we know the dragon in Revelation is who? Satan. Notice what it says there in verse three. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So we see the merchants, the language speaks of this material world, the antichrist, evil, religious, and materialistic empire will spread its hellish influence into all nations, promising like the harlot that we looked at last week. What does a harlot promise? Prom the harlot promises momentary fleshly satisfaction, whatever, and in the end, it brings forth destruction. And so that's what the enemy does. And so the, the surrounding nations, seeing what's taking place in Babylon, when they have an opportunity to repent, instead they're going to line up with the Antichrist and they're going to engage in all the fornication and all the worship of this false God. And they're going to follow with hook, line, and sinker and grab a hold of it and reject the true and living God. And they're going to join all the other nations in persecuting Christians and putting them to death as their blood will flow through the streets, it says in the word. And so you've got those who either are for the Lord or against the Lord. By the way, if you haven't been here, we know that believers will have a mark on their forehead. It's a letter ta, and that letter looks like a cross. So either they'll have the mark of the beast or the mark of the cross. And guys, I know which mark I want. How about you? Amen? So it's short-lived, this attraction to this rich and abundant luxury. They're attracted by it. They're caught off by it. People love to love luxury, right? When we ask somebody about retiring, are you going to be comfortable? You know, I want to retire comfortable. Do you know the Bible? No one in the Bible does it say we're supposed to be comfortable. That's why he sends a comforter because you should be uncomfortable because this is not your home. Amen. God has called us to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world, and this is not our home. And so we need to be different than the world. Amen? But there's attraction to luxury. There's an attraction to stuff. And you know that, that old saying that he who dies with the most toys wins. The reality is he who dies with the most toys, if he doesn't know Jesus, burns in hell for all eternity. So it's not about how many toys you have. It's about knowing Jesus Christ, and that's all that matters. Amen? 
So the world system of Babylon is attractive because it promises to make people wealthy. You know, their entire churches, the name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it. You know, you, your words, you know, God has to honor your words. You can speak things into existence. That's nonsense and it's blasphemy because the only one who speaks things into existence is Almighty God. It's not you. Amen? Amen? So you don't go Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac in your driveway and it shows up on Friday. That's not going to happen. And if it does, it's not from the Lord and I don't want it. Can I get an amen? But the point is wealth attracts people and a lot of people are being drawn to the Antichrist for pleasure and wealth in a time of despair and destruction. And so they're looking for a physical savior when what we need is a spiritual one. They're looking for something that will make them comfortable in the temporal but sadly, will make them uncomfortable for all eternity in torment. And so this exhortation here about they've all drunk the wine of her wrath, of her fornication. They've got caught up in the same sins that they're involved in. And here's the problem with us as believers. We need to be careful. We can become desensitized to sin by how much time we spend with the world. Amen? We get desensitized to language. We get desensitized to things people do and places they go. And again, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to minister to the world. But we need to be careful not to line up with it. The Bible says this. Paul said this to Timothy. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. It's in many foolish and harmless lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Is it wrong to have money? What's the answer? No, not at all. Money is a tool that we can use for God's work. The Bible says that a man who does not work shall not eat. The Bible says a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So yes, money is fine, but money is a tool to provide for our families, to use for ministry. It's not something we should worship, and it should not define us. Amen? So much of the world defines themselves by how much they make. They think that's the scorecard of the house that they live in. It's all going to burn. It's all going to perish. None of it will matter in heaven. It says this in 1 Timothy as well. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time that, to come, that, may, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Guys, do you know that we can give to things that will impact eternity? Guys, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And may we give to things that will honor the Lord instead of just trying to make ourselves comfortable. So point number one, God's message of coming judgment will be impossible to ignore or escape. Number two, we are to be in the world, but not of it. I heard another voice from heaven saying, so the message is illuminated, it's loud, you can't miss it, you can't ignore it. It's spoken to all these who are in the darkness hovering as the judgment of God is falling on Babylon. And then there's another voice that's going to speak to the believers who are still there. There are going to be believers that will make it all the way through the tribulation, but most will have be decapitated, will lose their lives for aligning with the Lord. But some will make it through. And for those people, here's verse four. Here's what it says. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. This was a message to those in those last days 
to come out of Babylon, to come away from Babylon, lest they be impacted by Babylon. But that has an application for all of us. The Lord would say to us, come out of the world. Don't be so caught up in the world. Don't allow the world to be influencing you. We should be influencing it. Amen? Because if you align with the world, you will fall into its sin and again, the plagues that come upon it. This is a call to God's people to disentangle themselves from the world. Its materialistic lure is a constant threat to guard against. Also, its flesh-driven immorality and how quickly we can become desensitized to sin. Somebody that I baptized years ago, sadly, just pray for the person, and that person now is deconstructing, which means rebelling. Amen? Fellowship or rebellion, choose one. You can't have both. So it was rebelling. Had this long diatribe and, and all these Christians responding to it saying, well, you know, if you're a Christian, just live your life, but don't tell other people how to live. And, and you know, and what's good for me is maybe good for you, but we're Christians. We all can have our own individual walk. And, you know, and if you don't want to have an abortion, don't have an abortion, but don't tell other people not to have an abortion. And I wrote, that is the most flawed argument I've ever heard. So if you don't like murder, don't murder, but let other people murder because that's okay because they all have their own way of living, right? See, here's the reality. When you start hanging out with the world, you start listening to that kind of nonsense, and you can get taken off a track and desensitized to sin, and before you know it, you'll call good evil and evil good, which is what is taking place in our world today, amen? And we have entire churches that are confused about what a man is. Help me out with that. The word of God is sufficient, amen? And he's telling them, come out of that. He's telling them, don't get caught. you're going to get caught up in the plagues and all the consequences of sin. Lest you share in their sins, lest you receive their plagues. You know, you become like the people you hang out with. Don't be unequally yoked. All sin has consequences and plagues that follow temporary pleasure. Just remember what happened to righteous Lot. I still had a hard time finding the righteous part. But righteous Lot, that's how he's described in the Bible. Remember, he was with Abraham. They came out of Egypt really wealthy after lying, but they came out of Egypt. And he told Lot, you can pick which way you want to go. And he looked and he saw the green grass towards Sodom. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then he camped outside of Sodom. Then he was in the gates of Sodom. He was on the city council ruling people. And then he was living in Sodom. And the angels came to visit. And all the men in the town wanted to rape the angels. So he sent his virgin daughters out instead. That doesn't sound very righteous to me. Amen? But the point is, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then he camped outside of Sodom. Then he lived in Sodom. Then he became, even though he, made, nowhere in the Bible does it say he engaged in homosexuality, which is what God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah for, but he still was living in it and trying to make excuses for it. Lord, help us to never do that. Amen? So here's some verses that we see in the Bible, in the Old Testament about how we're to respond. Well, three in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. Depart, depart, get out of there. Touch no unclean thing. Get away from her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, Isaiah 52. In Jeremiah 50, it says, flee from the midst of Babylon, everyone save his life. Get out of there. Leave Babylon. Jeremiah 51, my people, go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. Guys, we want to run to the Lord and flee from the world. Amen? Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And then finally, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's Ephesians 5.11. 
So point number one, we saw God's message of coming judgment will be impossible to ignore or escape. We are able to, we are to be in the world, but not of it. Point number three, the lost world will reap what it has sown. Is our God a gracious God? What's the answer? Aren't we all blown away by the depths of God's grace sometimes? And I'll tell you, I'm most blown away by the grace he's shown me. How about you? He knows me best and he loves me most. He knows you best. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever thought, done, or said, everything you're going to do, and he loves you anyway. That's called grace. Amen? We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It was freely given to us. Praise the Lord for it. So we love the grace of God. We're thankful for his grace. And God suffers long. But along with being gracious, he's also holy and righteous. And because he's holy and righteous, he must judge sin. Look what it says in verse 5. Render to her just as she rendered to you. Oh, no, excuse me, I skipped five. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. You could say that God literally has had it up to here. Her sins are so wicked, they've reached heaven. I find it ironic that Babel tried to reach heaven with a tower, and they never made it, but they reached it with their sin. Amen? So the sin is coming to the presence of God. And again, sometimes we wonder why people seem to get away with evil deeds. We wonder what God is waiting for. God is giving people time to repent, but there will be a day when complete judgment will come. But God is not performing a rush to judgment. There's a reason. It says in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, if some, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God is slow to respond, but he wants people to get saved. But when we get to this point in the kingdom of the Antichrist, his empire, God is done. This is it. He's bringing judgment. No more. And we see in that text, God has remembered her iniquities. This is the destiny of the lost, materialistic, and God-rejecting world. But toward Believers, God says, I will remember their sins no more. See, he remembers all the sins of unbelievers, but he remembers ours no more. Can I get a hallelujah for that? Hallelujah. Amen? He remembers all of their sin, and he remembers ours no more. I imagine, how many of you guys have prayed and asked God to forgive you more than once for the same sin? Anybody besides me? If your hands on up, you need to pray for the sin of lying that you can... Right. But the point is that we come to the Lord and often, especially when we've really blown it and we just feel horrible, we'll come and pray maybe five. Anybody besides me pray multiple times? I can't believe I did that. Lord, please forgive. Lord, oh, Lord, I can't. Lord will, you, Lord, will you please Lord, forgive? Lord, amen? Do you know when you pray the second time, he's saying, what sin are you talking about? Because he already forgave it and he remembers it no more. God can't forget because he's God, but he can choose not to remember. Amen? And he remembers your sin no more. I'm so thankful for that. How about you? What a gracious God. But the world, he will remember her iniquities. Those who reject God, their sins will be on full display. When we stand before Almighty God, first of all, we won't be at the great white throne judgment because we're forgiven. But when we are judged before God, he will see us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and he will see us forgiven. But when he sees somebody who's rejected the Lord, who's taken all of their own sin before him, they will be held accountable. And that's what's going to take place here in this text. You've got an entire nation of people taking the mark of the beast, shaking their fists at God. And now he will remember 
her iniquities, the iniquities of Babylon and all those that followed after the Antichrist. Verse 6 through 8, render to her just as she rendered to you. Repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously and in the same measure give to her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am no widow and I will not see, not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Whoa. That's a great commentary in those verses. Whoa. <laughs> render to her. The word render there means to pay a debt or to give back what is due. God will give Babylon what she deserves. Rebay her double according to her works. You know when you had to pay double in the Old Testament law? You had to pay double whenever you stole something. So if you stole $100, you had to pay 200 back. If you stole a cow, you had to give two cows back. You had to pay double what you stole. And this thief will pay back again double. The reflection of Babylon's lack of character, her dishonest source of gain, uh, no doubt filled with thieves doing whatever it takes to get what they want so they can live a luxurious life. And again, luxury is fleeting. The things that this world seeks after are all going to burn. They're all going to pass away. The new car smell wears off. Amen? And what's going to happen is the righteous judgment of God will come. Now notice in verse 7, the measure that she glorified herself you know, there's three things we see here. We see indulgence, living luxuriously. Pride, glorified herself as a queen. If you're walking around calling yourself a queen, just stop it. <laughs> just stop it. I see it online all the time. I'm the queen. No, you're not. He's the king. Can I get an amen to that? I'm not a king. He's the king. Amen? We don't point to us. We don't walk around trying to live in luxury so everybody will look at us and think how amazing we are. We all know you're stinking sinner like the rest of us, so get over it. Can I get amen to that? But there's pride. And you know what, what? Pride is what got Satan thrown out of heaven. Amen? It was pride. I will be like the Most High. I will be. I will be. Everybody wants to brag about themselves. You know what? We, should, we got two ears and one mouth. We got to use them proportionally. Amen? Let's listen more and talk less about ourselves. Let's make it all about him and not about us. If anything good is in your life, it's not because of you, it's in spite of you, and God's gracious. Can I get amen to that? So to him be all the glory, but instead, they're filled with indulgence and pride. And she says, I'll never be a widow, I'll never suffer. Really? You'll never suffer. Now, here's what's interesting. Do Christians suffer? What's the answer? As I've said often, you'll see, you can't find anybody in Scripture who's used mightily that doesn't suffer greatly. But who suffered more than anyone? Jesus did. He took all the sin of mankind upon himself. So to be so arrogant as to say, I will never suffer, is to say that I will not surrender my life to the Lord. I'm going to make it all about me. I'm not willing to die to self, to take up the cross and follow the Lord. I want to live in luxury. I want everyone to know my name. I want to have, you know, a million followers online or whatever it is that people strive after. And guys, all of that stuff is perishing. Notice what it says in verse eight there. Her plague will come in one day. The destruction of materialistic Babylon will be sudden and complete, utterly burned with fire, the righteous judgment of God. 
Remember, back in Revelation 6, we saw the martyrs at the altar, and they're crying out to God, when will you avenge us, O Lord? When will you bring vengeance against those who killed us for you know, preaching the gospel, right? And they're asking, well, guess what? It's right here. Right here, he says, he's going to come. It says there's been death and mourning and famine. She will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Utterly burned with fire, the righteous judgment of God, answering the prayers of the martyred saints. So number three there, the lost world will reap what it has sown. And they are sowing to the wind and they're going to reap the whirlwind. Point number four, the, Lord, the, the lost world mourns over lost power, position, and wealth, but does not mourn and repent over its sin, open rebellion against God. Let me say this. Everybody look at me just for a second. You can tell a lot about someone's character by what they mourn over. Amen? Are you mourning because somebody put a ding in your car? Are you upset because you didn't get the promotion at work? And again, I'm not saying, I get it. Maybe you did deserve it. But is God in control? You know what we ought to be mourning over? People are going to hell without Jesus. Amen? What we ought to be mourning for over is marriages that are falling apart. We ought to be mourning over our government losing its We ought to be mourning over things that are eternal, not things that are temporary. Amen? I mourn over my son, Mark. This, the 17th, it'll be two years since he went to heaven. I mourn every day. But we grieve, but not as those without hope. Amen? Because heaven is better. And we need to have that eternal perspective. And the things you mourn over will tell you a lot about your character, and where you are with the Lord. So her plague will come in one day. And then it says there, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for one hour your judgment has come. So these kings who were aligned with Babylon, and it was a political power that they had, and they were reigning alongside them, in a sense, under the Antichrist, when they see, the, when they see Babylon burning, they're all going to be standing at a distance going, that's too bad. They're on fire. And they're not worried about the people dying. What they're worried about is they lost political power. What are we going to do now? We don't have them on our side. Guys, I pr my prayer is that when we lose somebody, we shouldn't think about what we've, uh, you know, what, what we've lost in a physical way. What we should be thinking about is that person and how much we love them and how much we miss them. And we don't see any mourning over what's happened in the city or why God brought judgment. Just the fact that, well, we can't go visit the prostitutes there anymore. You know, we can't go in there and make a ton of money off all the travelers all they're concerned about is themselves. So they're not mourning over the death of all these people and the righteous judgment of God. They're not repenting, saying, whoa, God's not kidding. We're probably next. Where do we go? Somebody knows God around here. Let's find them. That's not what happens. So great is the heat and smoke of her burning that these kings must stand at a distance. Some have said, maybe there's a nuclear bomb that goes off. I don't think that's the case. God doesn't need nuclear bombs, but it could be, I guess, right? He could use anything he wants. But while others involved in the very same sins as Babylon weep 
for her from a distance and recognize that their judgment came swiftly, they do not repent, but stay a safe distance away, making idle comments. And guys, the reality is their day is coming. So we see that the kings, you know, they stand off at a distance. They've lost some political power. Verses 11 through 17, look what it says. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. (laughs) Dude, that dude died? Really? That guy used to buy all kinds of stuff from me. That's tragic, amen? You're more concerned about lost revenue and that's exactly what's taking place with these merchants. It says, merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every kind of, uh, uh, every object of ivory, every kind of, uh, of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense and fragrant oil and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and the bodies and souls of men. So all these, quote, luxuries were being purchased by the godless, God-rejecting, idolatrous, wicked Babylonians. And that last word there at the very bottom of that verse ought to make you sick to your stomach. Because it says not only did they buy scarlet and frankincense and wood and, and, you know, all this stuff, They bought the bodies and souls of men. This could be taken in a lot of directions, but I believe it's like, it's, you know, trafficking. It's prostitution. It's using the bodies of men and women for their own pleasure. See, these people were so debased and they, they bought everything that the world had left in the midst of all the trials that were going on in the world during the Great Tribulation and they were just looking for anything that would be a luxury to them and feed their flesh, including the bodies and souls of men. Again, it could be slavery, human trafficking, prostitution, pornography, merchants and customers, both perverse and evil. Here's the good news. The Lord's shutting all this down. Amen? I've seen what you're doing. This is it. We're done. I'm putting an end to all of this. God is going to put an end to all of this one day. Amen? And we will rule and reign with him. Evil, wicked, godless Babylon's demands for worldly goods and the fulfillment of their fleshly desires were insatiable. The merchants were all too happy to feed their desires for the right price. How many of you guys have seen the movie Sound of Freedom? Okay. Uh, there's a statement in there by the, they, they're human traffickers, true story, and they get children to come, usually in third world countries, but they do it here too. They get them to come to a modeling thing or something, and then they uh, take the kids away and take them to a foreign nation, and they sell them into prostitution. And there's one point where one of the guys in the movie, and it's about as righteously angry as I think I've ever been in my life. Uh, if I was sitting across from him in real life, I'd be doing prison ministry right now, I think. But what he says is, Selling drugs is no big deal anymore because you sell it once and you're done. But you can sell a child 10 times a day, seven days a week for many, many years. And he's laughing. And it just seems so demonic and satanic. And guys, we're living in a world like that today. And again, the good news is God's going to shut it all down. Amen? And I'm longing for that day. They, like the Babylonians, will indulge their every desire 
and the merchants will supply them, but these guys will not escape the righteous judgment of God. And as believers, may we invest our God-given resources in eternal things for God glory, God's glory. And you know what? Now, we need to be praying for the, the people that are caught up in traffic. And we need to pray for people considering abortion. We need to pray for all of that. Can I get an amen to that? Because until the Lord returns, we're here. It says in 1 John, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away, the lust of it. But he who does the will of God will abide for ever. The things of the world that the world is pursuing by the grace of God, his judgment is coming. They're all going to be taken away. But those who pursue the Lord will abide in him forever. What are you investing in? Amen? Verse 14. The fruit of your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. And you shall find them no more at all. All the richness is going to, it's fleeting, it's perishing, it's all going to burn. Your flesh is never going to be satisfied. There's always going to, you're going to need one more promotion or one more raise or one more bedroom at your house or another vacation or a new car. And we're always going to try to fulfill the things that are missing. But what's missing isn't a new car. What's missing is a deeper walk with Jesus. What's missing is having intimate fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He created you with a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill, and nothing else will satisfy. Flesh will never be satisfied. And literally, you know, it says the rich and the splendid. It means the fat and the shiny things will be gone. The fruit that your soul longed for, those things that you pursued that you thought were so important, they're all going to perish. Ultimately, there will be a place of eternal torment and loneliness and separation, as well as memories of the opportunities that people had to be saved. Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man, he's in torment. And guess what? He remembers his life on earth. He recognizes Lazarus in paradise. And he says, go back and tell my family, I don't want them to come here. Guys, one of the greatest torments of hell is going to be all the opportunities people had to get saved and they rejected it. All the times they could have given their life to the Lord and they said no. And they're going to be reminded that for all eternity as they suffer separated from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 15, the merchants of these things will become rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For one hour, such great riches have come to what? All that they accumulated, all that stuff that they bought, all the things they bragged about, you know, the, the, size, the number of followers, the size of the, the, the house they lived in, all the things they'd accumulated, it's all going to burn. I've yet to see a hearse pulling at you all. Amen? You come into this world with nothing, you're leaving with nothing. Amen? And all those things that we think are so important and the world just treasures so much, and it's the scorecard, it's all going to burn. They stand afar off like the kings, and they're lamenting what? Oh man, I'm bummed. All those people died. No, they're like, they're not going to spend any money with us anymore. Who's going to buy the cinnamon? Who's going to buy the, you know, all the, the luxury items? So they're grieving for themselves. There's, there's a word for this. It's called eros. 
Right, three words for love most used in the Bible, eros, agape, and phileo, right? And we know this. And eros is a selfish lust. It's, it's a, I like my relationship with you for what you can do for me. I really don't care about you, but I'm glad you do things for me. And when you stop doing for me, I'll get rid of you and find someone else who will do for me. So eros is where we get the word erotic. It's where we get pornography, right? And so it's a, it's a love, it's a lust that takes. So these guys, all, they don't love these people. They have a lust that takes. And so when they all die, they're bummed because, well, they're not going to do for me anymore. And they're, only, they're not worried about them dying. They're not worried about the righteous judgment of God. All they're worrying about is they're going to lose out on some customers. That's tragic. One hour, such great riches will come to nothing. Spiritual riches will last. All worldly riches will come to nothing eventually. Again, let's invest in what is eternal. Point, and keep reading from verse 17. It says there, every shipmaster, so, so we had the merchants, they're grieving because they lost customers. We had the kings, they're bummed because they lost political influence. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and a many its trade on the sea stood at a distance. And they cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, in one hour she is made desolate. They're bummed because that was a great resource for them to become wealthy. And now they've lost their shipping opportunities. See, again, we should be burdened for people's eternity. We should love people unconditionally. We should love them more than we love ourselves. We shouldn't look for what they can do for us, but how can we minister to them? Amen? And no one is grieving because all of these relationships were based solely on arrows, solely on flesh. All grieve, but only for themselves, for their own personal loss, no thoughts of others, no thoughts of eternity. And as believers, we're called to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him. To esteem others greater than yourself. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be servant of all. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, in the world, but not of it. See, we're called to be ministers to people. We're called to be conduits of the Holy Spirit, tools in the hands of the master used for his kingdom and his glory. It's not about us. It's about him. Every day we got to wake up and say, Lord, use me today. Bring a divine appointment today. If someone needs a hug, use my arms. If someone needs a word of encouragement, use my lips. Lord, I want to be used for your kingdom today in the world, but not of it. Point number five, there's a day coming when all the believers will rejoice over the righteous judgment of God. Look what it says. Rejoice over her. Who's the her? Babylon. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Should we rejoice when the wicked die? What's the answer? We have a, the Bible tells us, it says in Ezekiel, say to them, as surely as I live, says the Lord, I will take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. But should we rejoice in God's righteous judgment? What's the answer? Yes. This is the righteous judgment of God that only came after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be saved. These are the very same people that mocked God, that cursed God that killed believers, that lived lives of e evil, idolatry, 
uh, immoral lives, ungodly lives, wanting nothing to do with God. And here's the reality. God will eventually give you what you ask for. If you reject him and want nothing to do with him, he will never force himself on you. If you push him away and say, this is the life I want to live, he will try to draw you back by the Holy Spirit. He will bring people into your life, but ultimately he will never force you. Repentance is a choice. We're walking in one direction. We've denied the true and living God. Repent means to change your mind, to change your heart. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to pursue my flesh anymore. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to surrender my life to Almighty God. And you know what? He will draw you over and over, but eventually your choice will be settled. And it's been settled for Babylon. They took the mark of the beast. They've aligned themselves against God. And God's righteous judgment has come. We don't rejoice in the death and destruction, but we rejoice in the righteous resolution of God's judgment and what it brings. Vindication, retribution, and vengeance for which the martyred tribulation saints prayed. Heaven rejoices not over damnation of sinners, but because of the triumph of righteousness, the exaltation of Jesus, the elimination of his enemies, and the arrival of his kingdom on earth. And man, I can't wait. Last point, pride goes before destruction. Then we're gonna to go to a time of communion. So Babylon has fallen. Finally, it says, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying thus, with the violence of the great city of Babylon shall be thrown down, it shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists and musicians and flutists and trumpeters shall not be heard in her anymore. Nor craftsmen or crafts should be found in you anymore. The sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants who were great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. A millstone, there's two stones, the, the bottom one's the heavier one, but both of them weigh, they can weigh as much as a ton. When you think of a millstone, what Bible verse do you think of? If you stumble a child, what happens? Throw, put a millstone, tied millstone on your hand, throw you in the depths of the sea. You're not getting up on that. And what he's saying is that's the punishment of Babylon. Babylon is going to be destroyed. There's going to be nothing left of her. This, is, uh, this reminds us of, thus shall Babylon sink, it says in Jeremiah. It shall not rise out of evil that I will bring upon her. They shall be weary. It, the Bible says, again, in Matthew 18, 6, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, that believes me to sin, it would be better for him, but a millstone was tied around the neck, and he was thrown in the depths of the sea. So in graphic and poetic language, John describes how industry and commerce in Babylon will come to an end. So complete will be the destruction of Babylon that there will be nothing left. No one will be making music. Nobody will be working. No one will be preparing food. The city will be completely abandoned. The light uh, the light of a lamp will not even shine in it because nobody is there. There will be no more falling in love, brides and grooms. Babylon will be so thoroughly destroyed that it will never rise again. And it was predicted in the Old Testament. I'll just read, there's many verses that predict this. I'll just read one. It's Isaiah 13, verses 19 through 22. And it says, in Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrows Sodom and Gomorrah it will never be inhabited, nor will be settled from generation to generation, nor will Arabian pitch tents there, nor will shepherds make their sheepfolds there, but wild beasts 
of the desert will lie there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats will caper them. The hyenas will howl in the citadels, the jackals in their pleasant, pleasant places. Her time is near to come, and her days will not be prolonged. Now notice what it says as we finish up here. For by her sorcery, all the nations were divided. The word sorcery there can mean two things. It's, it's the, in Greek, it's pharmakia, where we get pharmaceuticals. And one of the enemy's greatest tools is drugs. And what he does, he'll take drugs to, you need relief from reality when what you really need is to get right with the Lord. And he'll bring you drugs and what the drugs do, they, they satisfy something temporarily, then you become addicted and it draws you away from the Lord. The word is used in the New Testament to also refer to occult practices. So as they were worshiping idols, they were demonic in nature, and it was all their demonic worship and all their idolatry and all the, the drugs that were no doubt involved somehow, that they were drawing people away. And guys, the world will always use the things that feed our flesh to draw us away from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Finally, it says in verse 24, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on the earth. So along with all her sinful and ungodly behavior, God is going to bring righteous judgment on Babylon because Babylon messed with his kids. Amen? Amen. Babylon went after his children. If you're, how many parents we got in here? If there was a 500-pound bear out here going after your kid, how quickly would you run over there and get in the way? Every one of us. Can I get any men to that? And, and mama would tear up a bear. I'm convinced of it. But the reality is that that's how we feel about our children. We're imperfect parents. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much it breaks his heart when he sees the torment that's taking place? Now, he allows it. We go through it, and may we grow stronger through it. But here's the good news. God doesn't always take away the storm, but he's always with you through it. Amen? And he's always a faithful God, and he will walk with you. And in the end, he is going to bring righteous judgment upon those who attacked and hurt his children, his followers. He's our heavenly father, and the righteous judgment of God is going to come upon Babylon. So Babel built a tower to make a name for themselves, to reach heaven through their own efforts. The Antichrist Babylon and all God-rejecting Babylonians that came from before him are responsible for the blood of prophets and saints, and God takes the persecution of his people as a personal offense and those that attack him. So as believers, may we be in the world but not of it. May we minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. May we invest more in the eternal that will outlast this life. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Babylon is fallen, but we know it's coming. And God's message of coming judgment is impossible to escape. We're in the world, but not of it. The lost world will reap what it has sown. The lost world mourns over lost power, position, and wealth. It does not mourn and repent over its own sin and open rebellion against God. There's a day coming when all believers will rejoice over the righteous judgment of God and pride goes before destruction. So now we're gonna to go to a time of communion. The Bible says, as often as you do this, Jesus said this, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. By the way, communion is for believers. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're born again, if you surrendered your life to him, if you've confessed him before men, he'll confess you before his father in heaven. We do this as an act of worship. 
remembering the greatest act of love in all of human history. So here's what I want you to do. The worship team's gonna lead us in a worship song. They're gonna pass out the elements. I just want you to hold on to them. We'll take them together and do three things if I can encourage you. Look back to the cross of Calvary. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the depths of his love for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But not only do we look back to the cross, but look within and examine our own hearts before the Lord. You know, be there any, anything that needs to be confessed. If you need to get right with the Lord, make this the time to get right with the Lord. But not only do we look back to the cross and look within our own hearts, but we also look forward because Jesus told the apostles in the upper room, the next time you take this supper with me, you'll take it with me in heaven. Guys, we're going to have communion in heaven, Lord's Supper in heaven one day, and I can't wait, amen? Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to this time that we'd, have, we'd do business with you. We'd spend time in your presence. It'd be an act of, of worship as we remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. Lord, I pray if anybody here today doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. You know, as we're passing out the elements and maybe you're not a believer and you want to take communion, well, you can if you give your life to the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Again, I'm not asking you to join a church or anything else, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to make sure that you're right with the Lord. Not just make him savior with the get out of hell free card, but ready to surrender your life to him. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life fully to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit's drawing you unto himself, I want you to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Just raise your hand where you are and I will pray with you. And you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life and you can surrender your life to him. He will come and rule and reign inside of you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Anybody at all, don't leave here without the Lord. May today be the day of salvation. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, and now as we go this time of communion, Lord, may we spend time at your feet.